Hello, you movers, you shakers, and visionary makers. I'm Sky Sheridan, and welcome to another episode of Under One Sky, where we see solutions, hear humanity, and feel the future, having life discussions that build better communities. So today we have a very transformational show that you're not going to want to miss. We have Vince DiBianca on the show, and he's recognized as a pioneer and leading thinker and a senior practitioner in the field of leadership transformation. So today is going to be about breakthrough and transformation. He's also a dear friend of mine and also a great coach in my own life and uh, indeed also a team member as we are working towards realizing the SDGs and helping transform people's thoughts of impossibility into the realm of possibility. So today is all going to be about unprecedented change, how to move beyond incremental change into radical change, and the kind of thinking that we need to actually embody, the kind of consciousness we need to embody in order to reach the SDGs and heal our world and each other. So very excited to have Vince on the show. And without further ado, let's dive right into the transformation show. The man, the myth, the legend, Vince DiBianca is with us on the show today. We're also joined by our lovely co-host, Rachel Wu. We're thankful for you both to be here today, and we're super excited to cover elevating narratives and a topic of breakthrough and transformations. We have a Discord community, uh, which is online. We're trying to get off of Facebook and some social media platforms to have our own community. And they have four questions for you, Vince. So the first question we're going to aim at you right now from our community is, what was your favorite toy as a child? I had a about a 10-inch uh, statue of a Palomino horse. And then when I was a kid, everything was about Roy Rogers, and his horse was Trigger, this beautiful Palomino horse. And it had a chain, bridle, and, and reins. And I could play with that horse any place I wanted in the house, inside, outside. It was incredible. The connection I made was when I hit 18, my brother owned a riding academy. And uh, I was, uh, I was uh, one of those um, trail guides for him. And they had a beautiful Palomino horse that I ended up buying at 18 years old. So I had my own horse at 18 years old. And surely it was a Palomino, and that's the connection. And you're an equestrian, right, Vince? Like you have horses in your farm, is that correct? Well, we, I have two pleasure horses. I've never competed, uh, you know, competitively. I've never really been in equestrian kinds of events. But yeah, we've had. I've had horses since you know, long time. Yeah, for a long time. What what draws you to horses? Why are you a, a horseman? They're graceful. They're powerful. They are uh, loyal. Uh, they're beautiful. Sounds like you, right, Sky? Well, actually, my star sign, which leads us to the next question that Rachel will ask you, is Sagittarius. So it is a horse. And I have lots of horse energy in my life, if you think about <laughs> spirituality. And so all the things you were saying right now really resonated with me. So. It's actually something that is very common, I guess, across the three of us. I love horses, personally. I could spend endless amounts of time on the back of a horse. Well, you're not a horse, but uh, what is your star sign? I'm a crab. You're a crab instead. Vince, do you know about cancers at all? Have you done any kind of? Well, I mean, I've, I've read about it, and, I, and people have told me about it. But uh, 
I think I fit the pretty much the profile of being a cancer in terms of sensitivity and uh, romanticism and uh, all that. Rachel's a Taurus. She's a bull. I'm a horse and you're a crab. So we've got all God's creatures on this on this cast today. <laughs> and also want to let you know that we do have our Instagram live. And so people might ask questions. They're watching this uh, broadcast from behind the scenes. So they're seeing kind of like what how this goes together and and all that. So um, we might throw some questions at you towards the end from our audience who's just watching live right now, just so that you know. So Rachel, I'm sure you can say a couple things about cancer that you probably know about, right? Yeah, just, you know, uh, you mentioned a few of them as far as uh, being emotional and, and generally in tune. I think that leads into some intuitive nature. Um, and I'm actually very curious if that plays into kind of the people-centered, heart-centered nature of your work. We say that there are three kinds of intelligence. IQ, intellectual intelligence. EQ has become popular in business, emotional intelligence. And the third uh, aspect isn't spoken about too much, but I think it may be what underlies all of who we are, which is intuition, wisdom, sensitivity. And we call that your gut. Someone once told me that the gut energy is all about yes and no. It's a processing energy of just yes and no. It's very instinctual. So if you get into your gut and out of the mental process and emotional process, which can be kind of muddy, that you get into this gut process of immediately, you know, when you're in danger, right? No, this is not for me. Or when you kind of feel that warm, fuzzy butterfly feeling like, yes, I should do this. This is feeling really yummy in my stomach. Um, I was going to suggest a third or a fourth one. What about collective intelligence, Vince? Well, and I, I think that's a good point. And I think it may connect to this notion of uh, intuition and, and uh, wisdom. It's like beyond one's identity, because I think intellect and emotionality form our identities. And I think this deeper place, this, this uh, deeper knowing might be the access to collective intelligence. Uh, what's your superpower, Vince? I fall in love with with uh, visions, with people, with uh, possibilities. So I just, I love being in relationship. And by the way, that has much more depth to it than the idea of being in relationship with others. It's, it's relationship with who you are. It's the relationship with others. It's your relationship with circumstances. It's your relationship to time. I worked with a uh, Swami who used to say all the time, Wince, don't trust time. And I think his point was valid, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Never, you just never know what's going to happen in the next two minutes. Absolutely. And I think it has to do with your relationship with something outside of yourself. It could be a spiritual or religious. It could be a vision, you know, and I think it, I think it's your relationship to community and to the planet. So I think relationship is, is really what I'm most interested in. So I'm curious um, because a lot of the things that you just said resonate to me, you know, what is your hobby or your creative outlet that allows you to tap into those things? I think it's, it's about nature. It's about beyond one self-centered identity that really makes a difference. So you think just 
being part of that is really where you get all of your creative juices flowing? I do. <clears throat> I mean, I do. And, you know, there's a lot of research that says that most people can't really be effective in sports or in business beyond about three hours. So my partner, Mark Thompson, and I have a bit of a tradition that after three hours of talking or working, we stop. In my case, I'll go out and feed the horses some carrots or just walk around. And if it's snowing out, you know, playing in the snow. And I, I think that's a way to revive who we really are, which is a part of the holistic nature of, uh, of nature. Yeah, absolutely. That we are part of it instead of separate from it or greater than it. Let me just share this really quickly with you. Uh, it's Jay Krishnamurti, and he's kind of talking about what the real crisis is. I think that, you know, the work that we've been doing, Vince, with Panarchy, we talk a lot about climate crisis, right? And the SDGs trying to solve all these different crises from poverty to hunger. Um, and I think that Krishnamurti really hits it on the head of what kind of crisis that we have been facing for quite some time. He was speaking, I think, in 1952 in this message. So here it is. The crisis is a crisis in consciousness, a crisis that cannot anymore accept the old norms, the old patterns, the ancient traditions, and considering what the world is now, with all the misery, conflict, destructive brutality, aggression, and so on, man is still as he was, is still brutal, violent, aggressive, acquisitive, competitive, and he has built a society along these lines. What were your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, uh, it's noteworthy that that was 1952 and it could have been said yesterday. Right. <laughs> so it's so 70, so 70 years in an occurrence, it still applies today. And it may be the fundamental human challenge. Right. Secondly, um, he, 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 I'm sure he meant underneath the word crisis, the idea of possibility and opportunity as well. And that tends to be the, <clears throat> the nature of life, right? Something occurs as a breakdown, as a crisis, as a problem, as a thwarting of who we are and what we desire. And then that crisis can turn into just a wonderful new beginning. So I, I think, I think that's useful. Well, that's probably, you know, one of the highest elevations you can think from is who are we? Absolutely. Who are yeah. we? How do we see the world? How do we think? Who are we being in the world? If you could give us your journey in a nutshell, and in particular, if there was maybe a struggle or a challenge or a trauma that you ended up turning into a triumph and led you to where you are today. Yes, there was an event 
but there was a there was a fundamental question that I had been engaging in fairly fairly young, but certainly in my twenties. And the question is, who are we? In my particular case, who who am I? And I think that I think I used to think who I was was what I had. So if I had a good job, if I had a nice house, if I had a great relationship, if I had some money in the bank, maybe that's who I am. So it was a function of what I had. And then I thought, well, actually, as I got a little older, I said, maybe it's really not that. Maybe it's a function of what you do. And so, you know, I'm an international consultant. I'm traveling around and working with big organizations and, you know, I'm doing really fun projects. And so I thought that was kind of defining who I was. And later on in life, I thought the answer to that question of who am I really relates to who am I being? Who am I and what does it mean? We're called human beings, but what does it mean? What does the word being mean? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be effective? What does it mean to be loved? So now I'm thinking that being is really a function of two things, the coalescence of two things. One is your commitments. Who are you being like a possibility? So we have this amazing opportunity working with young global leaders, Sky and I, and, and other members of our team. And, you know, the question is, who are you being in order to deal with what's facing the planet in, in terms of making a difference this decade? Who are you being? Not so much what are you doing or what do you have? Yeah. Vince, have you ever had a moment when you... Um made a commitment that didn't really seem to go the way you thought it would or that let you down in some way or that, I mean, like, you know, an upset kind of in your own life when you have those, what does that, what does that do for you? Well, the, and so, that question relates, oops, sorry, Sky. Go for it, Vince. No, it's, you're fine. That, yeah. that relates to your earlier question about was there a, was there a defining moment or a turning point where, where a breakdown in my life and, you know, I was from a fairly traditional uh, Catholic Italian family um, from, I was the second generation Italian American. And so I, I got married very young. And so that was a pretty big commitment. And I found myself in my late 20s facing a divorce. Well, we couldn't say two words in our family when I was a kid. One word was cancer. My mother would only relate to it as the word C because it was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And she and and the other word was divorce because that was another form of a death sentence. <laughs> no, in the Catholic faith, for sure, right? That's the one place you don't want to go when it's, it comes to Catholicism. So I found myself um, facing, and I just said, relationship is what, love and relationships what my life is oriented around. And so here I am facing a huge dilemma. Coupled with, I was on a fast track at, at that time, one of the big eight consulting and accounting firms. It was called Touche Ross before it merged to become part of Deloitte Touche. And I, and I became a partner 
and uh, I was making money. So back to my thing about having and doing. So I'm doing all cool stuff. I'm making good money. But it wasn't being true to my commitment to really make a difference. Mm. And so now I'm facing a breakdown in my relationship with work and a breakdown in my relationship at home. It's at that point in time that I started to understand more about what transformation meant. And transformation is not the same as change. Change is improving what is. It's altering. It's making someone or something different or better. It's an alteration or a modification or adjustment to what is. So it takes something or someone and makes it better or worse or different. And transformation, which is rooted in science, by the way, it's a, it's a shift in someone's or something's state of being. Someone's state, someone or someone's essence or nature. It's bringing into existence a possibility that didn't exist before. Mm. So if you go back to the example of the horse sculpture, if you just turn up the temperature, your ice sculpture, whether it's an apple or a horse, becomes a puddle of water. That's a state change. It's no longer Mm -hmm. an ice sculpture. Mentally, how I associate change versus transformation is really that, you know, that caterpillar as really a you know it's a creature that can't fly it is stuck on the ground and all on its feet and then transforming into the butterfly and now they're airborne right and they can they can move about the world differently they can still do some of the things that they did before but ultimately they move through the world completely differently and similar to your ice sculpture you know as a block of ice and really this is a much more stark contrast as a block of ice really an ice sculpture could kill vegetation, right? Just by freezing it. But once it's transformed into a puddle of water, it can now feed that same vegetation. So I think I really, yeah, it's a pretty pretty stark contrast as far as change versus- Well, it's a, it's a shift in state. You're exactly right, Rachel. In physics, it's kinetic energy to electricity. In, in uh, psychology, it's victim to author of one's life. In knowledge, it's empiricism to intuition. In metacognition, it's reductionistic thinking to holistic thinking. In technology, it's a file cabinet to an iCloud. In athletics, it's a championship team to a sports dynasty. That's a shift in state. In business models, it's a service provider to a platform business. Mm-hmm. In leadership, it's top down, bottoms up to network design and orchestration. So I, I had to transform my whole understanding of what it meant to be a good son and a good parent and, and, a, and a good partner when I had that crisis in my life. That's why I say crisis is clearly also an opening for what's next. Right. Um, actually it kind of goes into a little bit of what I said to Sky this morning. I said, sometimes you just have to embrace the chaos. Let's go. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what, what an individual, the average Joe, right. Or the average Jill, um, can do to really start to make that transformation to how they operate through the world in a scarcity mentality or a problem mentality into an actual abundance or breakdown mentality? If you only have one life to live, let's say we don't know. We don't know anything really definitively. 
that's an important place to start. We really don't know anything definitively. From that right. separateness so, place, right, Vince? Like, because we are separate, we are operating in a separateness, but we might be able to operate, we may, in your possibility mindset, be able to operate as more than the separateness, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, if you, if you step back one step before that, Sky, it's like, if we don't really know anything, then what shapes our action? Well, what shapes our action is how we think, except we think thinking is the same as knowing and knowing is the same as what is, right? So um, if you ask somebody what they're really committed to, it could be, listen, I want to be the best mom that I can possibly be. And I want to raise children that make up, you know, that are positive, productive citizens. I think that's about as noble as one can get. So if you, if you ask that question and then you simply get out of your head and you ask this follow-up question, which is, well, what's missing? What's missing for you to be the best mom? And then you follow that up with, well, well are you, what actions, if you took, would advance your commitment? I said a minute ago that metacognition, the state changes from reductionistic thinking to, uh, to holistic thinking. Well, we have reduced things to either or, which therefore creates separatism. So we live in a world of, of dualism, and therefore, you're left to either I'm right or you're right, I'm right and or I'm wrong. Do you think that's a byproduct of, in what I, in my opinion, kind of society's change in listening, where generally speaking, people are listening to respond as opposed to listening to understand? Well, you know, I've heard that. I think that's a part of it. I, I think. Said another way, people are listening to what they already know. And if you're listening for what you already know, then you're pretty much left to either agree or disagree. Right. Whereas if you're listening for a new possibility, if you're listening for the gold in what I'm saying, you'll hear something. If I have two people here, you, you and Sky, and you're listening for the gold and Sky's listening for whether this is going to make it in your podcast, nothing wrong with either either listenings, except that you'll, you're likely to hear something because you're creating a different opening. But the power is in the listening. So if, if you, if back to your original question, I mean, I think if you ask somebody what they're committed to and you're not listening to agree or disagree or solve it for them, but you're, you're being a clearing for them or an opening for them or a vessel for them. This whole conversation is about elevating narratives is like what kind of narrative what kind of information are we receiving? How do we want to receive it? What are we, how is that information actually elevate us or, or put us in boxes or get us into like scarcity mindset? Because, you know, the news that we see is all about crisis. You know, let's talk a little bit about that. How, how do we move into the realm of possibility when it comes to having such a big conversation about something that seems so impossible? Like, obviously it doesn't seem from the news and from what scientists say that we're going to reach any of these SDGs. Uh, by 2030, and yet you and I are really standing for the possibility of of how that that can happen. Homo sapiens have been on this planet, you know, like upright, big frontal lobe beings for about 300,000 years. The first error, and this is how human civilization organizes itself. The first error was hunter-gatherer. 
The second era happened about 8,000 BC, and that was the agricultural age. The third major organizing era for human civilization was the industrial age, five or 600 years ago. Now, something that's worthy of notice right now is what? 300,000 years, 10,000 years, 500 years. Points to the exponential rate of change that's been happening around human civilization. The next one is the information age. Decades, not centuries. Now we suggest, and we're not the only ones, many people see the emergence of this fifth age. And by the way, it's going to explain a lot of the stuff that Sky was just poking to and the resignation that people were having and the, and the immense challenges that we're facing and so on and so forth. That age is called, we call it the network age. It's the age of interdependence. It's the age of interconnectedness where things like scarcity and um, abundance dissipate as a function of everything is all interconnected. And notice something that happens every time you have an error change. It's a mess. Because the predominant error holds on to what it knows and what's there. And you have nothing but people fighting because of our nature of, holistic, of, a, of reductionist thinking. You pick sides. Right. I don't, I don't want to use animals, uh, you know, to do work or I want to use animals. I don't want to do use machines. Or I, I don't really want to go to uh, the age of technology because it, we lose the age of interpersonal, right? So everything is, is, um, is messed up. So it's a really interesting time that it's accelerating so quickly. Like you were saying before, Vince, you, you were getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And maybe the next leap, the possibility of reaching these SDGs by 2030 could be the fact that we are accelerating so quickly. If it takes us 500 years in the industrial age, and now in the information age, it's only 10 years of transformation, maybe it's day by day. Maybe in one year, we could reach the 2030 goals if, it, if we were able to get our, our consciousness together, right, in some way. We've never had the resources and the innovation uh, and the access to humanity like we do today, never in the history of the planet. So I know not to go completely opposite, but what do you think, which SDG do you feel like is the furthest from realization from today's standpoint? Well, interestingly, it's probably SDG number 17. That's the whole idea of coordinated action. If yeah. we coordinate Within some of these initiatives and outside of some of these initiatives, that to me, that's the biggest opportunity is number 17. You know, I would say that the Partnership for the Goals, which is SDG 17, seems to be one that sits really close to my heart these days as I move from SDG 2 from Zero Hunger to this SDG, because I realize the competitive atmosphere to achieve the SDGs, like this capitalistic competitiveness is still pervasive within like banks and people who are, are doing the SDGs and giving money to the SDGs is great. But I feel like if there's 50 different separate, different initiatives, separate being the word um, working towards cleaning up the oceans, how are they checking to see who's doing what? And I mean, there's no cross alignment between these 50 different ocean cleaning missions. Right. And so if there was some kind of network or some sort of dialogue that was able to create these 50 ocean cleaning 
um, projects to come together around a roundtable and pool their resources and pool their data, right? I feel like that's what's missing, moving from competitive SDG fulfillment to collaborative SDG fulfillment seems like a no-brainer, but nobody's actually talking about it because you just see advertisements for like Bank of America, cleaning up the oceans and separate entities, right? Moving the same way that you and I would move. Like I'm trying to do Sky Farms, which is uh, uh, my own agriculture initiative, but there are thousands of agriculture initiatives that I never connected with that I could have collaborated resources with. Yeah, and when you're entering this fifth error, which is the interdependent interconnectedness error, and we're calling it the network error, then what you need is a mindset and skill set and tool set to connect the network. It's not, it's not taught in most schools. You're launching a panarchy, which we say is the world's first design network design organization, right? So um, it's it's really a mindset, as, as I say, a tool set and skill set to bring forth the possibility of coordinated action. Do you think the overall motivation to action is lacking at all? One person takes that, takes the action, starts the ball moving, and then the rest of the people just kind of hop on this already moving mm-hmm. machine. But I think it's that initial spark a lot of times that's missing. It's like if somebody's inspired to do something, but then they get scared and they pull back. From your perspective as a coach, what do you think that people need to really drive that change, to create that movement? So we talked about transformation because what we're talking about is that, listen, think of the, the, the nature of what we're saying, that the daunting nature that we as a generation of humans are going to be able to end hunger and end poverty and transform education and justice and climate change, right? We're saying that daunting thing. And we say, okay, but that's gonna require a state change. Just doing better what we're already doing is insufficient. And an example of a state change is shifting from competition to collaboration is one example. Here's how transformation occurs through the eyes of a biologist looking at a caterpillar. So the minute the caterpillar forms a chrysalis around itself, in that instant, there is the formation of what they call imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells are the possibility of the new butterfly, except at the same time that happens, the immune cells kick in because the immune cells exist to protect the existing system. So now you have the imaginal cells beginning to form and you have the immune cells kicking in, right? At some point in time, let's call it, let's call it the critical mass. The imaginal cells begin to reproduce at a faster pace than the immune cells. However, It's still not until you get two to one uh, imaginal cells to immune cells that you have the butterfly and the role of the immune cells now is to protect the new system, which is the butterfly. So uh, the imagery that Sky's talking about with a glass of water, we're, we're viewing a glass of water from the outside and this is our overall problem. And we can almost look at, you know, those cells that you were referring to or the people that we are trying to move as drops of dye and how many of those drops of dye 
will it take to really change fully the color of water? And I also think just to add to that a little bit too is, you know, if it's just the drops of water, right, it's slow going. But if it's drops of water or drops of dye with a catalyst, such as somebody stirring a spoon, then very quickly the color changes. So I wonder if, you know, from your perspective in, in all that you're doing and the moving and, and changing and, and just driving people towards SDGs, what you would consider that outside, that outside force, that, that spinning, stirring spoon? Oh, I think nature's doing it for us. I think it's watching. I just had a six, I have a, a, a brook a bridge across a brook that enters our farm here. It's six feet wide. And when Ida hit, it was 150 feet wide, a raging river coming down the farm. So I think the stimulus is that some of these uh, forces that were, you you know, that were, just look at the landscape that we're living in right now. We have exponential change, complexity, unpredictability. We have these immense global challenges. You know, we have social media, artificial intelligence and technology shaping human beings. We have breakdowns in consensus reality. We have a decline in leadership trust. These are these are all parts of. And then we have people who see a bright future, people who see a possibility. So when you're in natural science class, you know, I remember in science, like, I don't know, it was 10th grade or something. um, We learned that in order to have a full dilution of a solution. It takes, I think, I, I don't know, maybe somebody here can tell me because I'm, we have people watching as well. I think it's like maybe 10%. So it's like 10 drops of dye to dilute 90% of the water to actually take over the molecules where every molecule is bound with some ink. And so in consciousness, I think of the same thing. I think it might only take 10% of the population, 10% of us to dilute the actual programming, the, the system. How many change makers do we need out there to consolidate their efforts in these industries to actually dilute the entire system where the SDGs become a fulfillment and, and a possibility, right? So maybe That's- the new tagline for Panarchy is come join the 10%. instead of the one percenters it's like come join the 10 (laughs) percent working for humanity uh vince we have one a question that actually was was posed i want to get one in there for the instagrammers um you know how do you think that we can speaking of sdg 17 um how do you think we can consolidate the efforts of an industries in network orchestration because that's what we're doing at panarchy a bit and like what do you, how do you think we can get other industry players to consolidate their efforts around the sdgs is it by promoting what's already happening promoting what's already happening have people see what's already happening have have the natural emergence occur where people call pick up the phone and say are you working on that too or i can help you or i need your help right so so i think that communication conversation in the form of promoting what's already happening is, is really a key part of it. And, you know, I think also there's a book kind of in the works right now. I mean, Mark and I are writing a book on uh, leading from the edge of tomorrow with Forbes. And so. Well, we'll have you on the show again, for sure, with Mark. We'll, we'll interview Mark separately. He um, talks a lot about network orchestration, which we uh, adore Mark for, right? Um, and 
then we can uh, definitely, as we go down the line here, we'll have a conversation with both of you about that book because it sounds awesome. Can you just give us kind of a caveats from the book, like what that will entail for the reader? Um, you know, what, are, what can we expect from that magnum opus? Well, the, the, the first chapter is called Step Into Freedom. And it begins with uh, seeing how we become prisoners to what we believe is reality, what we believe is so what we believe, who we believe we, we are in a way that keeps us small. We're moving into an era called interconnectedness and interdependence. What does that mean to our personal ego? Who, take the people on this call. Who, who could you connect with that you haven't connected with for whatever reason? Could you, could you be an example of interdependence and you're, that serves, you know, that serves your own life. Especially in some of the things you were talking about earlier too, in how to define yourself and who you are outside of what you do and what you have, especially that idea of freedom from outside definitions of who you are or what you are and turning back into internal definitions of who you are and who you're being or how you're being rather um, as you move through the world. And I, I love that. So I can't wait for that to come out to read it. You know, Rachel, what do you think about having the leaders take on your and Sky's commitment to getting the word out, out about what you're broadcasting, you're promoting right now? So what if you invite these people to find their own networks that they can, you know, send out these podcasts to their friends mm -hmm. and to their colleagues and to their family? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Sky and I discussed this too. There's a degree in anything that we do. Anytime anybody takes that leap into action, right? There's a lot of limitation in terms of self-belief or, you know, and there's self-doubt comes into play and things like that. And I think that holds a lot of us back and keeps us small, as you said, um, as opposed to leaping and taking ownership of what could be and who we could be and what we could be. Um, so I, you know, I absolutely think that, you know, getting, getting leaders to share the message and perpetuate the message is absolutely fundamental to the success of, of this type of movement. If there's a parting thought for me, it's really an oversimplification, but it's not a bad one, which is that you can't control very much in life. You can't predict very much in life. There's an old Yiddish statement that says, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> because because life just happens it unfolds nobody predicted what's been happening and, and now that we're talking about how fast change is happening from 300,000 years to 10,500 to, to decades to years it's now days right so given that you can't control anything the question is how do you relate to what's coming at you in a way that defines who you are Said more simply, can we be powerful in the face of what comes at us mm. that moves it moves forward our commitment to who we are rather than be a victim to all these? You know, most of the world is in resignation. We, I, you talk about 
impact in the 17 SDG goals, most people are saying, I don't know what if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Or I, you know, I'm not sure how to raise my children anymore. Right. You know, so it's a very practical conversation. Well, in those moments, who are you and how can you advance what you're committed to that you've given up on? Vince, that's beautiful. And actually that goes back to some of our coaching sessions that you did with me, which I'm so grateful for. And thank you for that because you really helped me understand and identify. And for any of the listeners out there, this is a game changer in your consciousness of learning how to go from a problem when something's breaking down. And I think in the, the, the quick version is like, you know, you said the car breaks down, you have an appointment with like your girlfriend or boyfriend and, and there's an upset coming, right? Because you're not there and you're late and it becomes a problem. A lot of us go right to that. I, I've been there a lot in my life too. And you really helped explain to me that shift from like something's wrong as a problem to know this is a breakdown. And that goes into this whole like creation proaction strategy of like, what are the new possibilities here? How can I restore the relationship and the what kind of actions can I take to, to circle back to the vision and intention, right? Of the commitment that I originally held about coming to this date with this boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and recommitting to that, right? And so that was like a big thing in your, that you helped me in my own consciousness shift. Um, and I think a lot of people would love to hear more about that. We'll have to have you on the show again to talk a little bit more about that too, about how to change and shift a problem to, and a breakdown to a breakthrough. We like to leave the listeners with just something to add to their toolkit each time we invite somebody onto the show. Um, and so if you could share with us one thing that you think can build better communities that each of us can add to our toolkit today. Watch the addiction that every one of us has to agreeing or disagreeing with what's being said. Watch how our mind is driven to, because it's a survival mechanism. You, you, you had to be right on whether that was going to eat you or whether you could eat that way back when. So it's a hard wiring to be right and to be wrong. And a version of that is to agree or disagree. Simply watch how that has a grip on our thinking. Well, what I want to say, Vince, to that is that Rumi is one of my favorite Sufi mystics. And I think the quote that I always grew up with was, there's a field beyond wrong and right. Meet me there. I'll end this conversation with that, that we can all meet in that field together and have a good lay down and look at the stars under one sky. Everyone, you've been listening to this incredible transformation conversation today. We really appreciate you tuning in. Um, as I always say, you can find Vince's work. We'll, we'll put the links to his bio, to his company, to all his transformational work and, and all of the um, things that you can read online. And we're moving onwards and upwards, guys, as a community together. We're looking forward to all of your uh, thoughts on this conversation. Put them in the comments below, like, subscribe. And Vince, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure, man. Yeah, I know. It was a pleasure for, for me as well. And-, and Rachel, thank you so much for also being with us today and, and being part of this conversation. I'm I'm loving our co-hosting situation together. We're growing. <laughs> We're all growing here, Vince. These are conversations we want to have and dialogues we want to have. And it's just, um, we just started going live on Instagram recently too. So it's it's kind of like a learning curve for all of us, but uh, we'll get it together. As thank us- you for your time today. Yeah. You're more than welcome. Thank you for your time.
What more do we have to offer? Mm-hmm.